The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Stocks looking to bounce back after starting the year with a steep sell-off. Futures, they are higher. The New York Stock Exchange making an abrupt U-turn, now saying it will no longer delist three Chinese telecom giants. It is decision day in Georgia. Voters there heading to the polls to decide two key Senate races that could have a big impact on your money. The UK back in lockdown mode amid rising virus cases as Boris Johnson warns of the hardest weeks ahead for the nation. And shares of iPhone supplier Foxconn surging as it says it wants to get in to the electric vehicle market. It's Tuesday, January 5th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good Tuesday morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Glad to have you with us here on Worldwide Exchange. Let's get right now to the markets and your money. That's why you're here, after all, after Monday's big tumble across the board. Futures looking like we could bounce back a little bit. They are higher, not a lot. Dow's up 49, NASDAQ 17, but they are in the green. Now, your investments likely took a big hit yesterday. The Dow falling nearly 2%. The S&P 500 had its worst start to the year since 2001 and its third worst start ever, by the way. Really, it's a triple or even quadruple wall of worry for stocks to begin the year. Let's walk through them. Number one, you've got fears of potentially higher taxes, maybe much higher, if Democrats take the Senate. Those two seats are toss-ups right now here on Election Day. You've got the new lockdowns in Europe and parts of Europe, the UK and Scotland, as well as spikes in viruses and the new strain here. And Iran getting more aggressive, enriching more uranium and seizing a South Korean oil tanker on yesterday. The big winner Monday was fear. The volatility index, the VIX, up 20%. It is up mildly right now. Also, Bitcoin, a big winner. Now, it had a wild 36 hours before bouncing back yesterday. It was up a couple thousand, down a couple thousand, then it finished higher. Right now, Bitcoin is down about 910 or about 3%. Been very volatile for many of the cryptos the last couple of days. And of course, when people, markets, get nervous, they often buy gold or gold and silver, both rising yesterday, both on the rise right now. Gold at 1949, silver. At 27.59. Now, around the world, it was a mostly positive session in Asia overnight. The South Korean Kospi, kind of really the technology index you might want to watch. You don't have it there, but we probably should. The South Korean Kospi up 1.5%. The Japanese Nikkei down a bit. You saw China rising in both Hong Kong and Shanghai. And let's also take a look at the early trade in the European markets as well. 
Kind of a similar story, not a big trend either way. The UK up a bit, Germany and France are down fractionally. Now to some of your top stories on this Tuesday morning, including the New York Stock Exchange reversing course on its plan to delist three Chinese telecom giants. In a statement late yesterday, the NYC says it scrapped the plan after further consultation with relevant authorities, just days after saying it would move to delist China Telecom, China Mobile, and China Unicom. Hong Kong-listed shares of the three rallied on the news. The NYC had originally planned to drop the companies in order to comply with an executive order from President Trump seeking to bar American investments in companies that the White House allegedly aided the Chinese military. Also rallying today are shares of Foxconn, the iPhone supplier signing a deal with Chinese electric car maker Byton to help produce its first vehicle. The SUV expected by the first quarter of 2022. The move marks a big push by Foxconn into auto manufacturing as it tries to diversify its business beyond consumer electronics. And nearly 200 top U.S. business leaders are calling on Congress to certify President-elect Joe Biden's victory. Leaders from companies like Goldman Sachs, BlackRock, Pfizer, JetBlue, Lyft, and Warby Parker among those signing the letter. At least 140 House Republicans and a dozen Senate Republicans are preparing to vote against Biden's victory on Wednesday in a push to overturn the election results when Congress will meet tomorrow to certify that contest. All right. So with everything going on out there, the Georgia Senate race, the UK lockdown, Iran rattling its saber, what really is the or the most important thing or things for you to stay focused on? Well, let's find out. Michael Sheldon is the executive director and CIO at RDM Financial at Hightower, and he joins us now. Michael, it's great to see you again. Thank you very much, and Happy New Year. You have got that wall of worry that we pointed out when your clients are banging your phone lines or sending you those texts, slacks, emails, WhatsApps, or whatever it is. What are you saying would be some of the key worries or key things that you and your team are focused on right now? Well, good morning. And as we turn the corner into 2021, we're still going to deal with the lingering effects of the virus in early 2001. And that's going to probably lead to some weaker economic data. For example, this Friday, we have the jobs report out, and we're likely to see an increase of about 100,000 in the payrolls. That's not such a bad number. But considering the fact that we've only regained about 60% of all the jobs lost, we still have work to do. I think in terms of looking out over the next several quarters, it's important to point out that if you look back at GDP data going back to the late 1940s, Economic expansions typically last about six years or so, while contractions last much shorter. So in our opinion, while the economic data could be somewhat weak in the first part of the year, we have multiple vaccines. The Fed is likely to keep rates quite accommodative. We just had another fiscal package. So we think that the economic recovery remains on track as we head through the next several quarters. Well, well, Michael, I know you're not a day trader. Don't worry about that. But we did have one of the worst starts to a year ever for the S&P 500 yesterday. What do you think happened? Yeah, yesterday was certainly not the way you want to start a new year. I think there were a couple things going on. As you just pointed out, there were some concerns ahead of the Georgia election coming out later today. If the two seats in Georgia go to the Democrats, there's a greater possibility that we could see increased taxes and and legislation or regulation. There's also... Uh, 
Yesterday, we also entered the new year of 2021. You could argue with valuations and sentiment levels maybe a little bit stretched. And there could also be some concerns out there that the, the rollout of the virus, while it's very exciting and we've never developed vaccines as quickly as we have in the past, the rollout of the vaccine, you could argue, probably hasn't gone as smoothly as expected, at least in the first uh, few weeks. Yeah, certainly not. But we are getting there. And we're actually one of the top countries on a per capita basis. Israel, they figured it out. They've got about 12 percent of their population already vaccinated, Michael. So how do you convince with all those things, the market multiples, maybe not at extreme levels, but they certainly are elevated. I won't say the market is priced to perfection. Not my job. That's yours, by the way. But we certainly are elevated enough where things have to go right. What is your biggest worry? for the year from an equities perspective? Well, there are really a few things that could go wrong. One is obviously the vaccine rollout doesn't go as smoothly as expected. There's also the possibility that the Georgia race doesn't go the market's way and we get um, in, an increase in taxes. Uh, obviously, that's a big wild card. Our thinking is that the if the Democrats do win the two House seats in Georgia, uh, the Senate seats in Georgia, that the Biden administration has sort of signaled they're more of a centrist administration. And our hope is that they'll focus more on the economy in the first year, as opposed to thinking about raising taxes. And if that were to be the case, maybe that'll be more of a 2022 event. The other thing is the Fed has signaled that they're likely to keep rates very accommodated for the next few years. If there was a policy mistake by chance and they signaled that they were likely to raise rates before the economy was really ready for that, that could be a problem. And last, I would just say that as we talked about, valuation levels are, are pretty full right now. So we really need earnings to come through over the next few quarters to help support higher stock prices. Michael Sheldon, RDM Financial. Mike, we appreciate you coming on Worldwide Exchange and CNBC. Have a great day. Happy New Year. Talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Same to you. All right. On deck, the U.K. back on a hard lockdown. Residents told they can only go outside to buy food, exercise or get medical care. But how long can that really go on? We're going to find out as well as we'll check back in with a vaccine recipient. We talked to a couple of weeks ago. To see how he's doing. Plus, the Pentagon issuing a warning to Iran as they ramp up uranium enrichment and seize an oil tanker. And later on, your morning RBI, the record-setting run of money making its way back into the market and why more may still be ready to flow in. Some big numbers ahead. Dow futures up 61, and we're back right after this. Well, welcome back. Well, beginning today, if you live in the UK, you are officially on a hard lockdown. That means only leaving your home to get food, go for a jog, or seek medical care. Schools are closed, with some exceptions for the very young or children of essential workers. Prime Minister Boris Johnson calling the restrictions a pivotal moment for the nation in the fight against the spread of the coronavirus. Jumana Bersetti joining us now from London with more. Jumana, what exactly do these new restrictions involve? 
Yeah, well, Brian, it's essentially a stay-at-home order. You're being told to stay at home unless you absolutely have to leave the house, whether that's to go for work or to buy groceries, uh, medical assistance, or to buy medicine. And uh, you're essentially being told that unless you absolutely have to leave the house, you should be staying at home and listen to the orders that in the interest of, of public health. And so what that means is all non-essential shops have been closed now, uh, pubs, restaurants, gyms, cafes, cinemas, the list goes on. But pretty much anything in hospitality space has been closed down. And uh, more importantly as well, because this has been a big topic over here in the UK, schools and universities have been told to close as well. They were open for business yesterday, but as of today, they have been told uh, to shut down. Now, the UK government was... Uh, some would say dragging its feet a little bit in terms of coming to this decision and they very reluctantly did make this announcement yesterday. The Prime Minister is saying that they've had to make this very difficult decision because of the huge jump in the number of cases. Just in London alone, the London positivity test is up at 27%, was 17% just five days ago and there's a risk that the NHS could get overwhelmed. How long is this scheduled to go on and how is the vaccine rollout going so far in the UK? Well, I think, you know, those two things go hand in hand, Brian, because the government said yesterday that there is a bit of light at the end of the tunnel because there is a vaccine being rolled out and distributed. Now, what they've said is that they're planning on rolling out the vaccine vaccine to all the top four priority groups. So that's the care home residents, everyone over the age of 70, all frontline NHS and social care workers, plus those who are clinically vulnerable. So in total, that adds up to about 14 million people. If you work at an average pace of about 2 million doses a week, then we're probably looking at the end of lockdown towards the end of February. But again, that is a very high and highly ambitious number for the government to set because so far in the first month of vaccinations, we've only vaccinated 1 million people. So to get up to 2 million a week is going to be a huge ask. But that's what the government sort of hinted at or, or said that it's hoping to achieve by the end of February. So perhaps we could be out of this, but yeah. who knows? There are a lot of ifs at play, Brian, and, and the uh, overall order is, look, stay at home, protect the NHS, and save lives. Back to where we were almost a year ago now. Yeah, 1.42% of the population back. Same as the United States, by the way, which is actually one of the highest in the world, but still not enough. But the new vaccines will hopefully help. And Jumana, we appreciate I know you're also a new mom, and, uh, you know, you want to go for a walk, <laughs> just get outside and do stuff, and hopefully we'll get out of this. It matters. You know, it's especially living in cities, it can be difficult. Jumana Brissetti, we appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, for more on the situation on the ground in the UK, we are joined now by Paul Johnston. He is manager at the Palmerston Residential Home in Belfast. If you remember, we spoke with him last month after he received his first dose of the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine. Mr. Johnston, it's good to see you again. Have you gotten your second dose? Yes, um, we got our second dose on the 29th of December, and today we're now past the seven-day period, so we're quite fortunate. And how are you feeling? Very well. Um, I did have a slight headache um, the day post-vaccine and a bit of a sore arm, but they're very normal things to expect after a vaccine. What does it mean for you and what does it mean for the, the, the residents of your residential home? What's the reaction to feeling? I would imagine some, you're not free, certainly, because you have to worry about 
others and your loved ones. I get that. But from a personal perspective and for all the member, you know, the residents of your home, what does it, what does it mean for you guys? I think what it means for us as a home, the staff as a team and the residents is that we're that little bit safer than what we were. There are still plenty of risks um, and that, that can be from uh, families, from ourselves in the community, um, from the rise in cases of COVID-19. But what it means to us is at least we know that we're vaccinated now and we're as safe as we can be. And hopefully that life can slightly improve. And, you know, and Paul, I want to ask you this before we go. You just heard Jumana from a, from a lockdown perspective. I, I know it's hard. There's probably different political views there like there are here. Uh, how are you going to manage and how are all your, your employees going to manage through this hard lockdown? Do you think it is the right idea in the right time? We've been through it all so far. We've denied and poked. And I do think it's going to be a real challenge, I think that it's going to be detrimental to people's mental health. Um, it can be challenging for parents with children, with schools closing, hospitality. I do think it is going to be more difficult over the next few months than what we've seen before. Um, but I just hope as a country that we can get through it together in Northern Ireland. Paul Johnston. Palmerston Residential Home in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Paul, it's a pleasure. I'm glad that you got your second shot. I'm glad you and some of your, your patients and, the, and the, the, the residents there at the home are doing better. I know it's a tough time right now, but uh, we can see maybe the finish line. Paul, best to you and yours. Happy New Year. Thank you very much for joining us once again. All right, still on deck. Retail looking to bounce back after a devastating 2020 for much of the sector. We're going to break down whether better days are ahead for all but the big five stores. Today's big number, $1.8 trillion. That's how much the world's richest 500 people added to their combined net worth in 2020. That's a 31% increase over the prior year. All right, welcome back. Let's get a check on this morning's other news headlines, including some new concerns surrounding that new strain of the coronavirus. You can see Times Square starting to come to life. There's nobody there, a couple of cars on the street, but the the lights at least are on. NBC's Francis Rivera, no doubt, not far from there. In New York now with the, with the very latest, kind of a lonely morning in Times Square, Francis. Yeah, it is as it is this time of morning. But let's get started with those headlines, Brian. The country bracing for a surge of new COVID cases on the heels of the holiday travel season, adding to concerns new cases of the U.K. strain of the virus detected in the United States, the latest now in New York State. President Trump supporters are planning to rally in D.C. today and tomorrow ahead of the congressional vote to affirm President-elect Joe Biden's victory. To prepare for any possible violence, the D.C. mayor has mobilized the National Guard for the protests. The president has encouraged the protests as he continues to push baseless claims of election fraud. Actress Tanya Roberts is still alive but remains in critical condition at the hospital. Several media outlets reported the former Bond girl died Monday, citing her longtime publicist. The hospital later clarified that she was still alive. Roberts was hospitalized on Christmas Eve after collapsing while walking with her dogs in California. Those are your headlines. Brian, back to you. 
Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that that she is alive. I hope she does recover in critical care. But it's uh, what a bizarre story that is around Ms. Roberts. Yeah, especially friends and family who found out that way and like, oh, pump the brakes. She's still alive. So hopefully she'll take a turn for the better. Yeah, hopefully she certainly will. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you very much, Francis Rivera. Weird story there. All right. Still ahead. President Trump and President-elect Biden on the ground in Georgia, ahead of the key Senate runoff races there today. Elon Moy will break down the potential impact from D.C. to Wall Street on the outcome of that election. And as a reminder, if you if you are going out, get in the car, whatever it may be, you can download us, check us out on the CNBC app. Worldwide Exchange is back in a moment. Red arrows? Nah. Meet green shoots. Futures pointing to a slight bounce back after the S&P 500 suffers its first bad start to a year. It's 2016. Futures are mildly higher. Politics and your money. Two Senate runoff elections in Georgia today with congressional balance of power on the line. And a developing story out of the Middle East. Iran beginning uranium enrichment again and seizing a South Korean ship. We're going to bring you a live report from Tehran. It is Tuesday, January 5th, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back or welcome and good Tuesday morning, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. Let's get right now to the markets and your money. After Monday's big tumbles across the board, futures are flat to maybe slightly higher. I'm not going to make too much of it. We are not soaring or bouncing back or recovering in a big way, but we are not in the red. Dow futures, they're up 44. NASDAQ up 14. Let's call the markets stable. Now, your investments likely took a hit yesterday. The Dow falling nearly 2%. The S&P 500 with its worst start to the year since 2001 and its third worst ever. Really, you've got a triple or even quadruple wall of worry for stocks to begin the year. Number one, we're watching Georgia. Fears of higher taxes if Democrats take the Senate. Two, you got the UK, Scotland on total lockdown and the virus spike along with the new strain popping up in the US. And Iran getting aggressive and enriching more uranium and seizing a South Korean oil tanker More on that in a moment. Now, Monday, the big winner was fear. The VIX was up 20% on Monday, a big pump for the VIX, one of the biggest we've seen in a few months. It is unchanged right now. Bitcoin, also a big winner yesterday. It is down right now. Bitcoin had a wild 36 hours over the weekend before down a couple thousand, up a couple thousand. It ended higher. It is now down 830 to 31,578. And when people get nervous, they often buy gold and silver, or at least the ETFs. They were on the rise as well yesterday. Terrible breath. About 90% of the S&P 500 ended the day down. Gold and silver did rise, and they are up slightly right now. Well, your big political story today is Georgia's Senate runoff elections. Incumbent Republican Senators Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue are on the ballot against Democratic challengers Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff. Now, if the Democrats do win both seats, and it's a toss-up, the Senate will be split 50-50. That would give the tie-breaking vote to Vice President-elect Kamala Harris and Democrats ostensibly control of the Senate. As voters head to the ballot box of the Peach State, Elon Moy joining us now with a look at the industries and individual companies that have helped turn the special election into the one's most expensive Senate races in history. And I know this, Elon, you probably have friends there. I do. 
Every commercial break, all three commercials, is a political ad. Well, that's right, Brian. The numbers in this race are just mind-boggling. A record amount of money flooding into both of these Senate races. Here are the latest fundraising totals for both candidates, all four candidates, according to the Center for Responsive Politics. Incumbent GOP Senator David Perdue has raised $89 million, but his challenger, John Ossoff, has pulled in a whopping $138 million. Meanwhile, Republican Senator Kelly Leffler has received $92 million, compared to Democrat Raphael Warnock with $124 million. Now, these candidates also have some very different industries behind them. For Democrats, the top sectors are education, law firms, and tech companies. For Republicans, it's all about real estate companies and investment firms. Interestingly, the healthcare sector has been a major donor to both parties. Now, these numbers all represent money that the candidates have raised directly. There's also a whole separate barrage of outside money that is also coming into this race, and that tells a slightly different story. Most of that cash is being deployed on behalf of Republicans. The National Association of Realtors has spent $2.8 million in support of Senator David Perdue. The American Bankers Association just in December unleashed a million dollars worth of ads for Senator Perdue. That is the most it has ever spent on a race. And of course, there is the Georgia Victory Fund, which was set up on behalf of Senator Leffler. One of the major donors there is her husband, Jeffrey Sprecher, who runs the New York Stock Exchange. That fund has spent $18 million on the campaign so far. Back to you. All right, there's so much here to unpack. Uh, number one, I, I understand the po- and, and please correct me if I'm wrong on any of this stuff, Alon. This is your area, not mine. Polls close at 8 p.m., I think it is, but they've already begun processing ballots. I think there's 3 million early voters. The idea being they can verify signatures, do all that stuff now, so when they start counting tonight, we may actually get a resolution tonight. Is that what you're hearing? I'm certainly hoping so, Brian, though we were all kind of burned by election night when the process uh, dragged on for quite some time. So we are hoping to find out tonight. But, you know, it could still take some more time for that count to happen, depending on how close it may be. Um, But clearly, investors, the market watching this because they know that if Democrats do get those two extra seats, as you mentioned, they will then have control of some powerful tools that they can use to enact uh, particularly tax legislation that could have a major impact on the markets. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the reconciliation process, as wonky as it is, has been used sort of as a, you know, an iron fist by both parties to get things through. The Tax Foundation, Elon, has estimated that if the Biden full tax plan were to go through, it's a nonpartisan tax foundation, that it would mean an 11 percent increase in taxes on those with income over four hundred thousand dollars. I know that's just a couple of million filers, but it's a big part of the CNBC audience as well. There are some big numbers on the tax side that the CNBC audience really needs to pay attention to here. Yeah, and I think what's also important that sort of gets missed in this whole debate over whether or not Biden would raise taxes if uh, the Senate does turn blue is what is that legislation going to be paired with? I mean, if they enact some sort of tax hike, it's not going to be 
by itself, especially if they're using that wonky reconciliation process. So what type of spending provisions are going to go along with that? And might those spending provisions be something that actually is palatable to the business community, such as infrastructure? Those are two things that have been paired together for a long time. So how are they going to balance the revenue raising with the government spending? And the mix of policies is what is going to be important for estimating the total economic cost or benefit to Mm -hmm. the country. And that, again, that, those, and those estimates assume all the ideas get through. And very quickly, I know we got to go, but I got to ask you this. I'm not taking anything away from the importance of the election for the people of Georgia or the nation. But you've had Joe Manchin, Democratic senator from West Virginia. And I think there's Susan Collins and Tester and a few others. They may not be likely to get on board of any major sweeping tax hikes, so-called packing of the Supreme Court. So even if the Democrats take both seats, there, there, there may, it may be a tougher road, could it not be, Elon, to get some of these sort of major and more, you know, very liberal or very progressive ideas through? Yeah, they're going to require the unanimity within the Democratic caucus, and that is going to be constrained by the most moderate members, really from both parties, to enact any sort of deal in Washington. So you're right. I mean, the moderates are going to have a much stronger voice in this new Congress. Yeah. Social Security, 12.5% tax, over 400000 the reduction of the P's exemption, capital gains rates. Oh, by the way, a lot of very rich Democrats live in already high-tax states. It's going to be an interesting day and night. Elon Moy, thank you very much. All right, now to a developing geopolitical story. Iran's Revolutionary Guard seizing a South Korean-flagged oil tanker in Gulf waters yesterday. These pictures come from Iranian media. Latest news comes amid tensions between Tehran and Seoul over Iranian funds frozen at South Korean banks, but because of U.S. sanctions. NBC's Ali Arouzi joining us now live from Tehran with more. Ali, good evening. Good evening, Brian. Well, that's right. Iran uh, seized the South Korean vessel in the Persian Gulf yesterday, just adding to all the tension that's been building up in this region. Initially, Brian, they said that they took the oil tanker because of environmental reasons. They said it was polluting the waters uh, close to Iranian territorial waters. But in reality, this is a financial dispute. Uh, The Revolutionary Guards took that vessel in because the South Koreans had frozen about $7 billion worth of Iranian money in their central bank. Uh, those, those funds were frozen because of U.S. sanctions. Now, the Iranians have been accused of hostage-taking, but an Iranian government spokesman this morning said it was Iran's money that has been taken hostage. Uh, but this is adding to a lot of tension that's been building up recently over the anniversary of the killing of Qasem Soleimani. Iran had made numerous threats. They were looking for hard revenge. Thankfully, those threats haven't materialized. But Iran is piling on the pressure on the Biden administration even before they're in through the front door. Yesterday, Iran even announced that they are going to start enriching uranium at 20 percent purity. That's going to be the biggest breach of the nuclear deal so far. And that set off alarm bells in Europe and beyond. Uh, A EU spokesman said that this is by far the biggest breach of the JCPOA and raises serious concerns about nonproliferation. 
uh, Iran's sworn enemy, Benjamin Netanyahu, also said that this is a clear sign that Iran is seeking a bomb. So a lot of moving parts in this uh, neck of the woods, Brian. Ali, how do all these latest moves, and there is a lot going on, all factor into Iran's nuclear deal and the possible road forward? It's going to complicate things infinitely, Brian. I mean, there is certainly a political will from the Biden administration to get back into the deal. But these moves are going to make it very difficult. Enriching uranium at 20 percent, seizing uh, international vessels in the Persian Gulf are going to make things very complicated. And also, President Biden has talked about adding on uh, add-ons to the nuclear deal, which Iran has dismissed out of hand. So, yes, both sides want to get back into the deal, but given the bad blood between the USA and the Islamic Republic and all the open wounds, it's going to be a tricky path to navigate. Uh, Brian, Ali I don't Ruzi, know if you can hear me. Unfortunately, I've lost you on my IFB. That's okay. We under, I can hear you, Ali, if you can hear me. Thank you very much. We appreciate you being live on the ground in Tehran with that important story. And certainly, folks, something to watch. All right, coming up, we're going to change gears entirely and talk about you, the consumer, and the strength of the consumer this year and retail. Plus, your morning RBI. And this one, all about cold, hard cash and maybe, just maybe, pretty bullish case for stocks. But first, as we head to break, here are some of the other top headlines on this Tuesday. One, the FDA telling health officials not to change COVID vaccine dose schedules. The agency says people need two full doses. This comes after some had suggested cutting doses in half or just giving one in attempt to stretch supply. Two, Fed speak. Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester saying that policy will stay accommodative for quite some time, even if the economy improves post-vaccine rollout. But Atlanta Fed President Rafael Bostic suggesting the central bank could begin to trim monthly asset purchases if vaccine distribution does boost economic growth. They don't agree? Go figure. And three, NASDAQ-listed Chinese platform Dilly Dilly, Dilly Dilly, planning to raise more than $2 billion in a secondary listing in Hong Kong Watch for Billy Billy. Stay tuned. This is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Dow Futures up 60. All right, welcome back. Well, the early Christmas numbers are in for retail, and they look pretty good. You got MasterCard data reporting sales were up 3% over last year. Of course, a lot of that was due to the trend for online shopping. And according to Refinitiv, that could lead to a fourth quarter of 2020 same-store sales bumps of maybe 7% year over year. Of course, that's not for everybody. For more on the holiday retail season, the trends that are here to stay this year, let's bring back in Jerome Martis, Director of Consumer Research at Refinitiv. Jerome, I guess with everything else going on, we should probably be pretty happy with a 6.9 or 7% number year over year. Absolutely. At 3% same-store sales reflects healthy U.S. consumer spending. So 6.9% is very robust. What's interesting is that despite a pandemic, consumers still bought holiday gifts this year, well, in 2020. And the number one gift was gift cards. And what's interesting with this is that gift card sales don't actually get reported when consumers 
purchase these, but instead they get recorded once they are redeemed. And consumers are notorious for carrying gift cards in their wallets for months. So we might not see these sales reflected into the fourth quarter financial season, but rather um, later in the year when consumers redeem them. Now for the holiday season itself, there was an uptick in do-it-yourself projects. And as a result, the home improvement sector is expected to post the strongest same-store sale at 17.1%. And consumers' houses have also been turned into gyms. And as a result, the sporting sporting goods uh, sector is also expected to be very strong at 14.9%. And when you dig deeper into the data, it's interesting because the StarMind data tells us that analysts pulled by Refinitiv are very bullish on Dick Sporting Goods, Vista Outdoor, Hibbit Sports, and there's even positive stock price stock momentum in Lululemon's and Nike's favor, suggesting that the sport goods sector will continue to do very well in 2021. Yeah, it's something to do. Get out, r- ride a bike, have the kids play baseball, whatever it might be. It is something to do. You know, going back to the gift cards, Jerome, because that could be really, really bullish for retail. I learned something a couple of weeks ago from Bill Simon, the former CEO of Walmart U.S. I asked him, how much more on average do consumers spend? If you get a $100 gift card, how much do you, nobody ever spends less, right? And he said the numbers tend to be about 20 to 30% more. So you get a $100 gift card, you're probably going to go in and spend 120 to 130 So all those gift cards... That could be a hugely bullish factor for a lot of retailers going forward. Absolutely. So that's going to increase their um, same store sales in the remainder and in, in, in either in the first quarter or some consumers might even hold on to those gift cards until the economy starts to reopen and more brick and mortar stores um, reopen, which means we won't see those transactions reported until later, until 2021. Refinitiv discovered in a collaboration with Merrill Blue Public Opinion. And what's also very important is that a lot of those $600 checks are starting to come in, which will also boost a lot of the U.S. economy um, for, for the beginning of 2021. And our research shows that a lot of this money will actually be spent online uh, because the amount of money consumers spent um, on e-commerce, on online sales is growing significantly. Mm-hmm. For 2020, e-commerce accounted for about 14.3% of overall total retail sales. And this is expected to continue to grow even further in 2021 to 16.3% according to our IFR data. So as you can see, consumers have been conditioned to shop online for a safe and contactless way um, of, of uh, in a fast and efficient way yeah. of shopping. And this trend is here to stay. Seven in 10 Americans telling us that even as the economy is going back to a pre-COVID time and the vaccines have become widely available, they still will gravitate online to continue to shop um, for their goods in that manner. Well, it, it is fast and convenient for us. I'm not sure it's so fast and convenient for the distribution centers and the UPS and FedEx drivers and the mail guy and then the recycling center guys and Hopefully, small business will, will still be a part of our shopping trends, especially as we get back out in the spring. Jerome Martis of Refinitiv. Jerome, thank you very much. Do appreciate it. Happy New Year. See you soon. Happy New Year. All right. <laughs> On deck. It is your morning RBI. And don't worry, it's not about cardboard boxes. It's all about cold, hard cash and a bullish stat that could get you very excited about the coming year for equities, even with Yesterday's big drop. By the way, Dow Futures up 38. And if you have not already, subscribe to our new 
podcast. If there's a day you can't see us live, you want to tape us, tell your friends out west, because they're probably just going to bed right now. Worldwide Exchange Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and other podcast platforms. And we're back right after this. Time now for your morning RBI, the most random but interesting thing hopefully you'll hear all day. And yesterday we focused on digital money. We talked about Bitcoin. Today, let's focus on money, money, because with all the attention the cryptos get, there is still a ton of cold, hard cash floating around the world. And it just might be the strongest bull case for stocks after yesterday's big drop. According to data research firm EPFR, nearly $15 billion went into stock funds in the last week of the year. That marked the eighth straight positive week of inflows, the longest run since 2006. So can it continue? It just might. Because check this out. Last year, money market funds, basically savings accounts, in the U.S. took in nearly $1 trillion. With a T. It's, by the way, it's not stock fund inflows, it's money market flows. And that is trillion with a T. That is a million million. Why so much? Well, likely because for high earners, the lockdowns meant they did not spend money on commutes, trips, or dining out. And a lot of us saved money. So consider this. Even if a small fraction of that trillion goes into stocks or Bitcoin or real estate or whatever, that asset class is probably going to go up in price. Whether it's stocks, time will tell, but maybe, just maybe cold hard cash is still king, even in a Bitcoin world. Random, but interesting. All right, staying now with the market. Your next guest says the sell-off to begin the new year may not be a sign of things to come with the full year. Let's hope so. Joining us now is Ally Invest Chief Investment Strategist, Lindsay Bell. Lindsay, I thought that RBI would be a perfect intro to you because, you know, every, all you folks, smart folks in finance like to talk about, you know, money on the sidelines. Well, there it is. A trillion dollars maybe sitting in money market accounts just waiting for something to buy. Yeah, I mean, I think it was the perfect setup, Brian. Thank you very much. Uh, I've been saying for a while now, don't count out the consumer. They really have been the strength that has supported uh, the stock market upside throughout uh, the the year of 2020, the year of the pandemic. And so I, I really think that there is a lot of cash on the sideline. Consumers are just chomping at the bit to put it to work, not only in the stock market, but also in the economy in general, um, you know, no one is more excited for the economy to reopen than the American consumer. And because of that, I do think it's going to be a strong driver of economic growth in the year ahead. And because of that, I think you'll be able to see corporate earnings come in better than expected. CEOs and corporate management teams become more confident as the year progresses. And thus, the, the um, earnings per share for, for the S&P 500 could be a lot better than what we're expecting now. And by the way, we're expected to get back to level seen in 2009. So completely making up for what was lost last year. 2019. I've got a second RBI and I'm going to quote the great Lindsay Bell on this one. Here you go. I'm going to read it. You'll forgive me. Um, we have fallen 1% or more on the S&P 500 to start the year 10 times since 1950, and half of those times we ended higher. And in fact, some of those years we ended up 10%. So according to Lindsay Bell of Ally Invest, if you've heard of her, um, it doesn't necessarily mean things are going to be terrible. Yep, that's right. The first day of trading, 
it's you shouldn't read too far into it. Uh, you can look at the January barometer, but the first day of trading, like you said, in 10 times since 1950, when the market has been down 1% or more, you've seen the market up 10% for the full year. Now, also you have seen in, in three of those 10 years, the market decline 10% or more. So really it's, it's almost like a coin toss uh, when you're going into the year and looking at the first day of trading. So I wouldn't read too much into it. Also, you have to take into consideration what's going on this week. We have a lot to think about, especially with the, the Senate runoff races in Georgia, uh, the presidential yep. transition and vote in Congress tomorrow. And then on Friday, of course, we get the, the jobs report for December. We're expecting to see a continuation of the de- deceleration uh, that we've seen over the, the past several months. So, you know, there's a lot on investors' minds as we enter the new year, which, by the way, we're entering the new year at uh, stretch valuations and, and stretch prices in general. So I think... Uh, investors are, are taking a little bit of a pause here today. I know the, this morning the market's a, a flat, um, and you know uh, it's we're in kind of wait and see mode, especially until we get into earnings season. I think uh, for for the fourth quarter, and that's not going to be until later this month. And we're going to get to hear from yeah. uh, CEOs and CFOs about how how business really is going on the ground. Well, very quickly without, you know, again, not getting political, I'm going to read you something on the, on, uh, related to Georgia here. This is from a Tax Foundation paper, October 22nd. In 2021, on a conventional basis, they analyzed Biden's tax plan. Taxpayers in the top 1% would see their after-tax incomes reduced by around 11.3% due to higher taxes on income above 400000 Top 5% would see a reduction about one3 I know those are already fairly successful people, obviously, only a couple of million filers. But those are big numbers for our audience, for your clients as well. How closely are you watching Georgia? Yeah, I mean, I think we're definitely we're watching Georgia. It's going to make a difference in uh, the makeup of Congress. And it's an important um, it's an important race. But at the end of the day, even if the the Republicans win or excuse me, the Democrats win both seats, you still have a 50 50 majority uh, there. And I, I just think that, um, you know, the, the, the tax issue is not going to be the key issue for this year, especially in the first half of the year, or the first hundred days of a Biden administration. It's going to be about getting the economy back on their feet. Uh, and that might include more stimulus from, for, for COVID relief or yeah. in an infrastructure plan. And so I think really taxes and regulation are going to be on the back burner for this new administration. Lindsay Bell of Ally Invest. Great to have you on, Lindsay. Happy New Year. We'll see you again soon. Thank you very much. And wow, it goes quick, doesn't it, folks? That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Dow futures up 51, but at least they're not in the red. We'll see you tomorrow. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 